Joe and his family are at a wedding, family wedding today, so contacted me in the middle of the week, and he said, did I ask you about this Sunday? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, well, <laughs> what about it? So, <laughs> so there's, there's so much to always study in God's Word, and it, it, you can restudy it. You can look at the same verses, and every time God brings something new uh, to us and teaching us, and not only the the opportunity to teach, but like I tell everyone, when you teach, that scripture hits you first before you can share with anybody else. And at times that's so overwhelming because I know I heard a lot and in our own prayer group so much about where our nation's headed, everything going on. And I was reminded again that this week, what do we expect of a nation where most of the leaders are lost? Are they going to do things according to the Bible? Are they going to look to God for guidance? No. But then we're to be sharing Jesus' light to the world around us. And as I told this one inmate when I was still working at Pinellas County Jail, and I remind myself every day, I said, and I tell myself this, just pray today that somebody sees a glimpse of Jesus in us, however God chooses to do that. The opportunities are endless, and uh, and we'll know when that opportunity is there because God reveals it to us. Guarantees are important in life. I think we would all agree. When we shop for that Whirlpool refrigerator at Best Buy or Famous Tate's, or we want a good price and we want reliability, we want to know, now what's the guarantee with that? Or when we hire someone to install flooring at Home Depot or Lowe's, we inquire now, once you put the flooring down, is it guaranteed for a few weeks or a few months or a few years? And of course, we all like to hear that when the car salesman says, well, it's got a lifetime guarantee. Well, they're just kind of, I think, thinking you might have that car five, ten years. We drove ours, the one car we drove almost 20 years, but... We want to know what's the guarantee with it. Or when we call that repairman for that rattling dryer or water softener that's not making water soft, we want to know if their work's guaranteed longer than when he leaves our house and after we pay the bill, right? So we want guarantees. Well, this morning we're going to look at two verses in the New Testament that share God's eternal guarantee that encourages us to know that Once God saves us, He alone keeps us saved. Please join me in the book of Jude. Jude is the book that precedes the last book of the New Testament, Revelation. There's no chapters, only verses. We're going to focus on the final two verses, verses 24 and 25. So Jude, no chapter. Verses 24 and 25. That will be our focus. We're going to read that. And then we're going to look at the detail of why it's so important to know of God's eternal guarantee. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord 
be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's uh, pause for a word of prayer before we look at this Jude in detail. Father God, we thank you this morning for the privilege to look at your word and Father, to be assured anew that once you save us, Lord, you keep us saved. And you alone, it's not by our works, it's not by who we are or the progress we think we're making, but it's all on you, Lord, for saving us and for keeping us. May we be encouraged. We live in a, in a nation that's crumbling, but Lord God, you're sovereign. And some days, even whether we feel saved or not, we know we're saved because of your word, and your word is truth. Help us today and in days to come to cling to that knowing that you cannot lie, that what you say is truth and absolute truth. And as we seek to live by your word, Lord, we know the world isn't going to applaud it. But Lord, we want our lives to bring honor and glory to you in every way. As we look at these two verses, as we look at the book of Jude, Lord, help us to be reminded again of your presence in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. To understand these final two verses, we need to look at the preceding verses of this single chapter of Jude. I guess this would be chapter 1. Verse 1 tells us who the author is. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the call, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says the author of this book is who? It's Jude. He's a half-brother of Jesus who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this book. He identifies himself as a brother of James, another half-brother of Jesus, who was a leader of the church in Jerusalem. He refers to himself as a bondservant of Jesus, as we all have relinquished our rights when we were saved. We're servants of Jesus with no rights of our own. He bought us. We belong to him 100%. We note the rest of verse 1. He addresses it to those who are the called. We're the called, we're Christians, we're believers. He addresses it to fellow believers who are chosen and loved by God and kept for, the, for Jesus Christ. We've been bought with the price. And then we see a verse 2, a greeting, a short one. And I looked at that. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. What more could he greet us with? Look at that list. He says, mercy. Every day we have God's mercy in our lives, don't we? Everything that we receive is from God's mercy. He created us, He saved us, and He keeps us. And peace. Do we need peace in the world we're in? Every day I know I ask God for peace. Peace in our hearts. Peace that Jesus will walk with us every step of every day that we face. Everything 
that comes our way. The Lord is there with us. And then love. Jesus showed his love by dying upon the cross. He didn't need to do that. As we look uh, toward Easter next Sunday to celebrate, as we look at this Friday, the day that Jesus hung upon that cross, his love for us. And so when we have here this greeting, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied. Jude was led to share some important a message with us. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Because in verse 3, Jude encourages brothers and sisters in Christ to what? Look with me at verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that what? You contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Contend earnest, earnestly. Is that easy? Does that sound like something, oh, well, I'll just get up and I'll just do it kind of automatic? Contend earnestly means that whatever comes into our lives, that we contend for the faith, the faith that Jesus Christ gives us because he died upon the cross, the faith that God gives us to be saved. And to say, God, no matter what today, I know you're going to walk with me. Don't let go of my hand. You ever have a day where you say, Lord, just squeeze my hand a little tighter? You ever have one of those? Am I the only one? You don't have to raise your hand, but we all do, don't we? Sometimes it comes in multis. Sometimes it comes one after another. But God says, I don't get tired. I'm all powerful. I will help you through each day, every situation. God says, I will walk with you. And then as we get, won't read all of it, but in verses 4 to 11, Jude warns of those who have crept into the church unnoticed. A warning of the deceptive teachers who can sound like they're telling the truth, but they twist it just a little bit. Satan is a master deceiver, right? And so he will present things... uh, I'll just share one incident this last week uh, of one group that sent a letter to somebody in, in our family, and it sounded sincere, talking about Jesus and all. And then finally they sent a little pamphlet along, and it said something about Jehovah's Witness. thought, oh, whoa, they didn't tell me that at the beginning. But they were trying to kind of deceptively deceive. We move clear down to verse 12, and it speaks of apostates. In that verse, we're going to look at and read. It says, These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. They sneak in. They creep in. They start to kind of twist the truth. They, they try to present it in a real good way, but then they just kind of turn a few things around. Just like when we talk about salvation, it's all of God, not 90% God, 10% us. God saves us, right? It's not anything we've done or anything we deserve. But every day we should thank God. God chose us and he saved us. And he keeps us. Verses 13 to 16, 
further describe the false teachers who have crept in the midst of the people. Wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It's also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Quite a description. Many, many things are going on. But the false teachers who have just crept in unnoticed, but then they start to teach not the truth of God's Word, but twisting God's Word to their own advantage. But in verse 17, I'm thankful for those first two words about you. There we've seen all the, the false teachers sneaking in over the years, trying to deceive people. But then it says in verse 17, But you, beloved, believers, those in the body of Christ, he's going to shift the focus here. How are true believers in the church going to defend and fight for the truth while false teachings springing up even within the church walls? Webster defines apostates or those who have forsaken the church. Abandonment of what one has professed. A total desertion from one's faith. So how do we fight for the truth? I think in verses 17 to 19, we see four ways. Beginning of verse 17, it says, First, but you, beloved, ought to what? Remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first way we need to remember, remember the words of the apostles who said, in the last days there will be mockers following after their own lusts. They were prophesied as coming and they're here. Are they here? Turn on the TV, open the paper, get something uh, on your doorknob, and you go out and say, what was that? And there's something there or somebody knocking on the door saying, we believe just like you do. And then you start talking to them and you say, oh, that sounds close, but that's not it. Media portrays them everywhere. Secondly, in verses 20 and 21, the second way, we're to remain as we fight for the truth. Look with me at verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. We're to remain in our fight for the truth. And growing spiritually, every day we need to, to look to the Lord and say, how can I grow in my trust in you and my faith in you and depending upon your word? And early on in the year, I remember Riggs saying, this was a good year again to read through the Bible. Well, I've been reading through the Bible, and you, when you go in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, you're glad when you get up to Joshua. And, but, but when you're reading through the Bible, all the 
the law that people of Israel struggle with, I would have been in line there too. It was tremendous amount of this had to be exact and this had to be exact. And they stumbled along the way, but God still is gracious to the nation of Israel. But as I've been reading through that again, I'm reminded, I'm glad we live in the age of grace, aren't you? If we would have lived those times in the Old Testament, if something wasn't done exactly right, God's grace. I, I just thank God for His mercy every day. But it's, it's good to read through the Scriptures every year, every day to open it. But when you start opening the Word, you start spending more time in prayer, believe me, you're going to get attacked. Because Satan doesn't want us to do anything about sharing the Gospel or sharing the only eternal decision that's going to last forever and that's whether we have Jesus Christ as our Savior or not. There is no in-between. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. And so, when we get into the Word, when we start spending time in prayer, expect to be attacked, but know God is greater than he that is in the world. God is sovereign, even through those times. So we're to remain in the fight, remain growing spiritually, seeking that every day in our communion with God, to call God, Abba, Father, Daddy, I need you today. I can't make it on my own. We need to humble ourselves and say, God, I can't do it by myself. Because that's how we're learning more and more dependence on Him. And then I, as we do here in our small prayer groups, praying for each other. I don't know about you, but I need a lot of prayer. And that intercessory prayer, we can pray for one another, and then when we can share, here's how God answered it. Not did He answer it my way, but here's how God worked it out. And you know that way is always going to be better? Do we always have to understand God's ways? Sometimes I, I know I said, God, why did you do that? Instead of saying, oh, well, down, here's the plan. Tomorrow you're going to show me the next step. I'm, I'm worried about this step. God said, just trust me each step of the way. I know I sometimes get running ahead of God, don't we? Say, God, here's how the end should be. And uh, I want to get there real quick. I don't want this door opens and this window closes. and I want the end right here. God says, no. What are we learning through all that? It starts with a P, and we don't like to say it. Patience. Does patience have a, a purpose? Absolutely. It's to trust God more, endurance, letting God walk with us when those tough days come. Thirdly, we fight for the truth by reaching. Look with me at verse 22. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Verse 23, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. If our brother's struggling, don't go over and say, here's another rock. Why don't you sink a little deeper? We go over there and we reach for them and we grab them. But as we're reaching for them, whatever's polluting and corrupting in their life, we've got to watch out that we don't get polluted ourselves, that we don't get drugged down there. We need to be like the Good Samaritan, don't we? Instead of saying, wow, you know, you deserve to be down there. Have a good day. 
or somebody's all beat up spiritually and we go over and say, wish I had some Band-Aids. I don't have any in my pocket, but hope you get some help somewhere. We go down and we help that person up out of the pit. And we help take care of them. Why? Because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we care? Do we honestly care? We say, how are you doing? We say, now please don't tell me anything. Because I might have to pray for you. Or we honestly care. And we say, God, are you telling me to help this person? Let me do it. If I can do it, do it. Life on this earth is too short. My dad's 93 and I praise God for him. But he knows he's getting ready to go into heaven. He's ready. My mom told me the other day, she's 87. She said, I'm ready to be in heaven. If you can't come back and see us in Kansas before I go, I'll see you in heaven. I praise God for them being raised in in a Christian home. But I wasn't saved because they're saved. That's a personal decision. God works on our heart. He saves us. He chose us. And He keeps us. As we reach out to rescue those drawn out, that word about don't getting polluted ourselves, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh, literally it means it's like picking up filthy underwear. Don't get contaminated while reaching out to those who are doubting and denying their faith because people will do that in the last days. A final way we fight for the truth is to rest. And how do we rest when our focus is where? On everything going on and how chaotic it is? How do we rest? In God. We look to Him every day. Say, well, I'm being overwhelmed. Look to God. I can't take it anymore. Good, now look to God. I have to remind myself because some days I don't know what to do. Can we pray too much to God? How many times is too much? God say, I'm I'm tired of hearing you, John. That's three times in a row in in five minutes. I I don't want to hear that anymore. No, He loves us. We rest in Him. The one who knows us better than we know ourselves. The one who knows what we're going to say before we say it. The one who is already ahead of us in time. We're locked into time. God's not. He's eternal. He's before us and after us. So we need to rest in God's truth that He will keep us saved. He will watch over us no matter what. Remember the Lord said it would be like this. We're to remain in a place of being blessed by God. We're to reach out to those who are doubting and we're to rest in Him alone. Listen to this reminder that I found this this week from Megan. She's serving time in Gadsden Correctional Facility in Quincy, Florida. And here's what she wrote. It's entitled, He Can. My heart was beating, but I had not life, burdens, fear, neglect, anger, hate, strife. Which way was up? Where was home? By myself and all alone. I cried, you can't save me, so just let me be. God will never have mercy on me. I went too far, I crossed the line. Now leave me be and let me die. As darkness fills my thoughts and dreams, life is slipping away it seems. 
But out of the silence came a voice, fierce and wild. He said, wait, you must stay, my child. I'm okay, I'm just tired, I can't go on fighting. Please just be quiet and let me keep dying. I could do that, my daughter, but I know your heart. This is not your purpose nor my plan from the start. Come take my hand and I'll show you the way, for I am the potter and you are the clay. Why he chose me was because I was his. He still wanted me when I had nothing to give. He took me broken. He made me whole. He filled me with love and saved my soul. There is still light in such a dark world. He proved it in me, this unworthy girl. A change for love, baptized from above. I can't explain how I feel, but I promise he's real. If he can't take what I was and make me so new, have faith, my friends, he can do it for you. I send you all my love and pray for you to have faith that God into your heart now, tomorrow, may be too late. Find that encouraging. God takes us as we are. He makes us new. And every day we have the opportunity on this earth to be a little bit more like Jesus. Now to our passage, we get to the final two verses of the book of Jude. Verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Two things the Lord does in guaranteeing our eternal salvation. The first thing the Lord does is shared in that first part of verse 24. He preserves us. He preserves us. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. As Jude begins this benediction, and a benediction is a praise to God or an act of blessing, or a prayer uttered in favor of any person. As we see that it says here, He keeps, the Lord Jesus Christ keeps us from stumbling. He preserves us because He is holy. He hates sin, doesn't want us to lose our salvation. Only God can preserve us to Him who is able. No one else is able but Him. A great verse that reinforces this, Second Peter verse 9 the Lord is not slow about his promise Jesus promised to come and take his bride to glory but he is patient he's not slow about his promise John MacArthur shares the reason the Lord tarries is not for the ungodly that are going to be destroyed but is for his own who have been elect from the foundation of the world to be gathered in When the chosen have all been justified, then will come the end. Talks about in John 6, 37, we're reminded all that the Father gives me, gives Jesus, shall come to me. The people that the Father gives the Son, those chosen before the world was created to give to the Son. And then John 6, 39, this is the will of Him who sent me, Of all that he has given me, I lose none, but raise them up the last day. 
We're going to be raised up to be with the Lord forevermore. And then verse 40, it says in John 6, verse 40, this is the will that God will preserve us till the end. No one can take us out of God's hand, can they? No one can snatch us out when God has saved us. God is willing and He is able to preserve us. Now to Him who is able, we aren't able to save ourselves or keep ourselves saved, but God is. And that's what we need to look to. And Daniel 3, verse 17, the three Jewish captives said to the world leader at that time, He, God, is able to deliver us. That word there, deliver, is dynamite. God wants to. He can blow it up here and He can deliver us. That's the God I worship. That's the testimony Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to Nebuchadnezzar, the world leader at that time. Our God is all-powerful, and I want you to know that. What a testimony. 2 Corinthians 9.8 is a reminder God is able to make all grace abound in you. For sin abounds, God's grace abounds all the more. Ephesians 3.20 is a praise that God is able now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. We've got the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ paid the price. God the Father loved us and loves us. John MacArthur shares these thoughts. The path to heaven is absolutely safe. Not because I'm able but because Jesus Christ is able. Jesus keeps us, which means He guards and watches over us. He keeps us from the false teaching. He hangs on to us. He doesn't let go. John 10:28 says, I gave eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of My hand. Philippians 1:6. He that has begun a good work and you will perform it when until the day of Jesus Christ. Whether He calls our name, whether we're still alive at that time, or whether we come out of the grave and we get the new body and we meet Him in the sky when we hear that trumpet, it's time. It's time. We sing that song here at Lakeside, He Knows My Name. And I think the words speak to us. He counts the stars, one and all. He knows how much sand is on the shores. He sees every sparrow that falls. He made the mountains and the seas. He's in control of everything, of all creatures, great and small. And He knows my name. Every step that I take, every move that I make, every tear that I cry, He knows my name. And I'm overwhelmed by the pain and can't see the light of day. I know I'll be just fine because He knows my name. Need to rest in that. Second thing God does in eternally guaranteeing our salvation is shared in the rest of verse 24. And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. The second in guaranteeing it is he presents us. He makes us stand. When we're failing, when we're 
fallen down, Jesus Christ lifts us up. He makes us stand. To make you stand means He presents us. Instead of falling, we're standing through Jesus Christ. John MacArthur shares, I heard some fool on television the other night talking about his meeting with God and talking flippantly and foolishly and irresponsibly about all kinds of inane and idiotic matters. He's never stood in the presence of the glory of God. A reminder from inmate Lance Harris in the Jordan unit in Pampa, Texas, shares this about heaven's anointed. Through all the troubles that life can bring, there is one in whom you can trust. He's heaven's anointed one, God's only Son. He gives such peace. Through His passion on the cross, He gives such peace. Have you counted the cost? He gives such peace, heaven's anointed one, God's only Son. Jesus, a name above every name, is a fortress to those who proclaim. Through him the crooked is made straight. All burdens become lifted weights. Gaze into his compassionate eyes as blood flows down to cover your demise. Embrace him tightly as his resurrection power gives you strength to face this hour. He's heaven's appointed one, the Christ, God's only Son. A true believer will fall over in terror in God's presence. Holy God of the universe, because we're sinful. But we're presented blameless because of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. And so we can have, instead of being blamed and full of blame, it says we'll have great joy because all we can say is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I praise you. You're the one who paid the price. You didn't have to, but you did. Jesus was our substitute on the cross. He presented with great joy instead of being blamed. I want to share what Pastor Charles Spurgeon says. I think that this is the most wonderful text in the whole Bible because it says stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Charles Spurgeon says, God himself is singing. I can imagine when the world was made, the morning stars sang together, shouting for joy, but God didn't sing. He said it was very good, that's all. There was no song. But when all the chosen race shall meet around the throne, the joy of the eternal Father shall swell so high that God will burst into infinite song. That we're saved. Shouldn't we then rejoice as well? Our Lord God, with His eternal guarantee, will preserve us and present us. And we won't go into any super detail, but verse 25 is a doxology, thanking God for all that He is, for saving us. And that doxology, I know there's a doxology that many churches sing, and we've all, I'm sure, heard it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. We need to every day, every moment in our lives that we walk here on this earth, sing 
praises to God for salvation. We can never praise Him enough. Angels sang a doxology at Christ's birth in Luke 2. Many, many examples in the Psalms. Psalm 41.13 Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Psalm 89.52 Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen, amen. When we get to heaven, I look forward to we can be singing praises to God for salvation. And here is the praise in verse 25 to the only God our Savior. Through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. As we shop at Publix or Walmart or wait at Jiffy Lube for an oil change, we need to thank God we're saved. Not only today, but forever. And we need to look for opportunities to share that with others. God chose us. He saved us. He will keep us saved to the end as He alone preserves us. And someday we'll be presented blameless before God's throne. We will spend eternity with Him. And that, my brothers and sisters in Christ, should give us great joy as we spend eternity with our great God and Savior. Let's pray. Father God, thank You this morning for Your Word. Thank You for the reminder in Jude. We need to be praising You because God, You not only saved us, but You keep us saved. We need to know that when the days seem dark, when we feel alone, even though we know You're with us, help us to trust You, lean on You. Squeeze Your hand a little tighter, Lord, because we know You're almighty. You're all-powerful. And you're our Father, and you're our Savior, and our Creator. Keep us on the right path, Lord. Help us to reflect Jesus' light on the lost world around us who desperately need you. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.